Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hewn. I reject the idea that financial freedom has to wait until retirement. When we slow down to reflect on our values and use money to intentionally support those values, we can move on from a job we hate, waste less money, build greater wealth, and reach financial freedom sooner. Thanks for slowing down with me today. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. My guest today is Kate Donovan. Kate has dedicated herself to what I think is a really important mission within the corporate world, and that's ending corporate burnout. Now, before all you hustle bros and gals roll your eyes at me, I get your annoyance. You know, burnout has unfortunately become a bit of a buzzword out there. And let's be honest, it can be tempting to dismiss burnout as a sign of weakness. I know I've done that in the past for for my own burnout. Um, But I think this mentality of manning up or whatever it is that you want to call it is precisely why burnout is such a big problem. Because historically, companies have exploited our collective willingness to work hard because, you know, we've historically equated things like hard work and extra effort with greater success. And what we find is that often leads to a wholly unhealthy balance between our work and our personal life, especially our family life, which leads to a lot of unhappy people. And if you ask me, unhappy people tend to act shitty and we don't like shitty people. So I love that Kate is working directly with organizations to reduce employee burnout. Um, and besides, what, what organization doesn't want happier and more valuable employees? Um, and then in addition to that, Kate is one of the leading podcasters on burnout with her show, Fried. So, Kate, thanks for coming on. How's it going? It is fabulous, and I'm so excited to be here. We started, feels like we started this conversation a long time ago, so I'm happy to, like, do it for real now. Yes, yes, it's been wonderful getting to know you, and have I've gotten a lot out of these conversations, and I really hope the listener gets a lot out of it as well. So, thanks again for for coming on. So, Kate, first... You know, like I said, burnout is kind of becoming a bit of a buzzword out there. And there's a lot of misconceptions about what it is, what it isn't. And so in the conversations I've had about it, I haven't gotten a more clear explanation um, or really a more informed explanation than what I've gotten from you. So I was wondering if you could just help us understand a little bit about what burnout actually is. So I always start this conversation with the definition as we currently know it. Because I feel like if we're going to be scientists in this space and we're going to take this thing seriously, then we all have to be talking about the same thing. And we can't be talking about the same thing unless we're looking at a shared definition. The World Health Organization adapted a definition of burnout for the first time in 2019, which is wild to me. The definition that they use is based on research that's been done for the past 50 years by the top burnout researchers in the field, Christina Maslach, Michael Leder, etc. What the World Health Organization says is that burnout is an occupational hazard that has three components, and all three components must be present in order for us to say that burnout is what is happening. The first one is physical and emotional exhaustion, which is kind of funny to me because it covers almost anything anyone can feel. But okay, physical and emotional exhaustion, we have that umbrella. The second umbrella is cynicism and detachment. So feeling like you're alone and being really cynical about the life you live, the job you have, the family you have, etc. All of those things. And the third thing is a lack of productivity 
or feeling like your work is not impactful or meaningful. So this is sort of a disconnect from your why, a disconnect from yourself, an inability to keep up with the same level or amount of work that used to be totally accessible and easy for you. Now, that is the definition right now. I do not find it to be complete, and I do think there's a lot of space to evolve within it. But if we're going to say right now, like what needs to happen for us to say that it's burnout, then that's it. Okay. So you see it evolving. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like where do you see this discussion heading? I think that calling it an occupational hazard is dismissive of a lot of people's experiences because you do not actually have to have a traditional occupation in order to experience burnout. Stay-at-home parents also experience burnout. Long-term caregivers also experience burnout. So I think that we need to, the, the first sort of expansion will be moving it outside just the sphere of work. A, because like I said, it can happen other places and B, because it affects everything. If you're burnt out at work, like you're saying, like you're a shitty person at home. This is the most common complaint I get from the men and women that I work with. I'm being a bear to my family. I can't help myself. I don't know how to change it. I know I don't want to act the way I'm acting. I don't want to be screaming at everybody all the time, but it feels like I can't control myself. So one of people's biggest complaints isn't, I'm not productive at work. That's a worry, but it's not a complaint. The complaint is, I don't like the person I am right now. Mm. So if it's going to affect every part of our lives, I don't think that we should limit the discussion around it to talking about it just in the workplace. I also find, and this is a bigger conversation that I know we'll get into a little bit more later, I also find that when we limit ourselves to only looking at workplace factors that cause burnout, we are missing 80% of the story. Hmm. And what would that 80% look like? (laughs) I just spent the last two years doing an extra degree so that I could really spend time digging into the most high quality and all of, as much as I could get into, research on burnout. And the six workplace factors that create a vulnerability to work to burnout have been studied and studied over again and proven by various people over 50 years of research. We get it. However, there are also five other spheres of our life that influence our vulnerability to burnout. One of them is our overall culture. I'm currently in the United States, so I'll talk about the United States culture, but I have I lived in Europe for 12 years, and there's a lot of crossover. One of the things you said right in the beginning, like we're praised for hard work. If you look up the American values, two of our top 10 values are hard work and individualism. If you're told that you have to hard, be a hard worker and you have to do it by yourself, then not only will you not ask for help, but when you get help, you won't acknowledge it. I'll never forget I met somebody someday. I was at his home. His wife had just made this beautiful dinner. We're sitting down to eat. He's like, I built this business by myself. And I looked at his wife and I was like, who raised your kids and fed you and did your laundry and made sure? Like, what? You didn't do this by yourself. F off. Right? We, but because we're, we're told 
that doing it by ourselves makes it more valuable, we hold on to that. So even when we get help, we don't acknowledge it. And and then when we're talking about burnout, we talk about this disconnect. Focusing on being an individual is encouraging a sense of disconnect. So we have the workplace factors, which we didn't go over, but just let's suffice it to say that there are some. Now we have the cultural factors. Part of those are some of our cultural values. Other ones are anybody that deals with any sort of ism in life is not only going to be more prone to burnout, but also going to have higher levels of inflammation in their body. This is very clearly studied. So if you have consistent experiences of ageism, sexism, racism, homophobism, etc., you will have more inflammation in your body. You will be more prone to burnout. Right? So this is all cultural stuff. Then we have a bucket for family. Family stuff is a mix of intergenerational trauma that gets passed down and of something that's called adverse childhood experiences. So if you grew up and there was violence in the home, whether you were the subject of the violence or you were simply witnessing, it doesn't matter. If there was neglect in the home, the same is true, either neglect of you or neglect of someone that you could witness. If there was incarceration, if there was addiction, if there was mental illness, if there was chronic illness, all of these things make you more vulnerable to burnout later in life. Then you have, in that same family bucket, you have the family of origin and your current family. So if your current family is not supportive, is too genderized, and the pressure on the man is to provide 100%, and the pressure on the woman is to take care of the household 100%, what, you know, this is a, not an example that fits everybody in the world, but just to make a point, right? So we have the family bucket. Then we have the self bucket. The self bucket are personality traits and coping mechanisms. The coping mechanisms most likely come from your family of origin. So these buckets intertwine a little bit. They pour into one another. All the buckets pour into one another, but this one's real obvious. So personality traits and coping mechanisms that you use, such as perfectionism and people-pleasing, that make it easier for a workplace to exploit you. And for you to engage in that exploitation because you think it's the right choice and because it feeds your anxieties, right? Yeah. So we have a self bucket. Then we have a health bucket. If you have a chronic illness, if you have a chronic pain, if you're dealing with a mental illness, if there's something going on in your health story that's not well managed, you're going to have a higher vulnerability to burnout. Because you're likely going to push yourself to be exactly the same as Sally from accounting when you don't actually have the same capacity. You might have the same capability. My co-coach, Sarah Vosen, said this the other day. Your capacity is not the same as your capability. Mm. Yeah, right? Strong statement. Mm. Strong statement. So your capability might be really high, but your capacity might be lower than some other people's because you're managing something else. So you have the health bucket and then the last bucket. So there's six. And this is my model of burnout. This I, I made this model up. <laughs> the last bucket in this model is the environment. So if you live in a household that you don't think is beautiful, I know people will think that this is super surface level, but it actually really matters. If you don't feel safe in your neighborhood, if you don't have enough trees or nature around you. If you work in a place that has all-day fluorescent lighting and no windows, 
there's a, a lot of environmental pieces that can either add to your overall feeling of safety and power and energy or take away from your overall feelings of safety, power, and energy, and then leave you more vulnerable to burnout. Hmm. That was a lot. So a few, yeah, it's a lot. Um, but <laughs> this is seven years in the making. Seven years of <laughs> of thinking to get to this point. <laughs> That's why it's great to hear from you. So there were a few things there that stand out to me hmm. that I was kind of writing down. So the first one that I'm hearing is that. A lot of times people tend to demonize organizations and, yeah. and the corporate culture, but it's not necessarily organizations that are causing it because there are certain people that are more prone to it than others. But it's certainly on organizations to create a more hospitable environment yes. so that more people can do well. Would you yeah. say that's accurate? 100 percent. The The older research says that organizations are responsible for 80 percent of burnout. And one of the reasons I did the further research that I did was because I was talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, hundreds of people, and that wasn't their experience. People kept saying, yeah, my workplace absolutely exploited me, and that was, or I had a bully for a boss, and that was definitely part of the story. But one person can have a bully for a boss and say, I'm not going to put up with this and leave. And another yeah. person can have a bully for a boss and think, something's wrong with me. I have to fix this. This is my fault. Right. So a workplace well, can have the same environment and two people can have completely different reactions to it. So the workplace should be shifting to be more human centric, to make things more psychologically safe for as many people as possible. And we should be working on the gender pay gap and we should be working on psychological safety. We should be working on not overloading everybody's workloads. We should be working on recognition. All of these things corporations should be doing, and they could be perfect and people would still burn out. And then the other thing that you mentioned there about um, how people who have an adverse childhood are, are more prone to this. And, yeah. and the first thing that I'm thinking of is you're, as you're saying, you know, yes, there could be a corporation out there and they, they may have a boss as a bully or the organization may act like a bully. Yeah. And sometimes I think about if somebody has some sort of childhood trauma where people were not very kind to them, they tend to gravitate later in life to those people who are not very kind to them. So maybe they're more prone to, to, to gravitate towards those companies. Exactly. That, that, yeah. And this is an example of how the buckets pour into one another. So I just gave you six buckets, but I don't see them as really separate things. I separate them so that people can understand them. But if you, for instance, grew up in a household where I'll give my my life as an example. My father was an addict and an alcoholic until I was six. One of the things that I decided at that young age was that if I didn't make any mistakes, my parents' lives would be easier and therefore I could manage my the emotional experience of the household. Six-year-olds think that they can do stuff like that. It's not reasonable, but I was six. I don't have a reasonable mind. So I pulled up a trait of and a behavior of perfectionism. That perfectionism led to a lot of really great feedback in my life. I got perfect grades. I was always praised for being good at school. I showed up every day. I got the award for never missing a day of school, for perfect attendance, la, la, la. So I continued with the perfectionism because it felt like it was working. And then you get into a workplace and that perfectionism gets noticed, right? Eventually, 
it becomes maladaptive. You go too far. You never give yourself a break, et cetera. But that's a family thing, a trait thing, and something that can be exploited in the workplace. So all those buckets all, all pull on one another, you know? Let's go back to one thing that you mentioned as well, which you mentioned about, um, you know, the, the increased level of inflammation. Mm. And for people that aren't aware of inflammation, I think a lot of people are, but people who maybe aren't aware of that, can you explain some of the things that that can lead to? So if you have an increased level of inflammation in your body, that can lead to chronic pain. It can lead to injuries. It can make it more difficult for you to exercise properly. It can give you, um, it can change the bacteria that lives in your gut and make it more difficult for you to choose healthy foods, which is really messed up. When you have a lot of inflammation, often your gut bacteria will shift into craving sugar and carbs because you have to feed the thing that's happening and the thing that's happening is inflammation. So it can lead to a host of different effects. The, the long-term effects of inflammation are things like um, buildup in the arteries that might lead to heart attack or stroke, are issues with the pancreas that might lead to diabetes. So these are really long-term, this is a really serious big problem that we are really ignoring and a lot of people are dealing with. Yeah, because a lot of people, you think of burnout and you only think about the mental side of things. Yeah, but your physical but body is as we're finding, yeah, as we're finding more and more, it's all interconnected, you know. Yeah. Mental health, physical health. So it's all uh, something to be in, the, in consideration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about, and I know you, you sort of touched about how things are interconnected. But this idea of thinking about burnout from a linear standpoint versus a web standpoint. Now, for me personally, and this is something that you pointed out, I was thinking about it very in a very linear way. So the way I looked at my burnout was I never really fit in. So I was constantly wearing a mask because I wanted to fit in. I desperately wanted to people please and, and be accepted, which led me to chasing money and external validation which then led me into a career where there was a huge disconnect between what I was working on and what I actually valued, which resulted in a lot of stress and anxiety, which eventually culminated in burnout. So it's like from point A to point whatever that is, D or C or E. <laughs> and uh, But that's not necessarily the case. So can you explain? And I think, by the way, the reason I want to bring that up is because I think that's just the natural way for humans to think about it. Westerners you know, they, they want to sort of organize it a little bit. So this is a difference between the East and the West. So Westerners have a tendency to think in A plus B equals C terms, whereas in okay. the East, more things are more viewed as a circle of interconnected ideas. And this is even evident in language. In English, the sentence is the dog is brown. In Chinese, you have an entire paragraph that you need to figure out what the second word meant. Like you can use the same exact word in three different sentences, and it means something different based on the other words that it's near. So mm. even their sentences aren't linear. You can't translate Chinese and English word for word. It doesn't work at all. Interesting. So part of my background that we didn't talk about is I have been an acupuncturist since 2007. I started my acupuncture degree in 2003. So I have been trained to think more circularly than most people. 
Now, in medicine, when I started school, in Western medicine, when I started school, everything was still very linear. And we took it so far to one side of the pendulum that now it's swinging back the other way and we're realizing again that things are interconnected. We have psychoneuroimmunology. So psychology, neurology, and the immune system all mashed together. There's psychoneuroendocrinology. So your hormonal system, your nervous system, and, um, and your mental state, right? So we are creating these more mixed bags of medical concentrations in the West now. But these are all within the past 20 or 30 years. These are fairly new, right? Epidemiologists currently, if an epidemiologist says, you know, like, well, what's the cause of this person's burnout? Or what's the cause of this person's diabetes? They'll say that it's that this thing, whatever it is you're experiencing, has something that's called a web of causation has a bunch of different factors that piled up over the years and pulled strings on one another. Those buckets poured into each other and everything got meshed up. And all of those things had to come together in order to create a vulnerability to whatever disease process is presenting itself at the time. When it comes to burnout, the first thing you said was, I didn't feel like I belonged, so I wore a mask. But there was stuff that happened before that that taught you that you didn't belong. Those things are attached to the people-pleasing. The people-pleasing is attached to a certain workplace thing. That is attached to something else. So I think all of the elements that you named are likely correct. And there's probably elements that you haven't thought of that are also attached to these pieces. Like you didn't continue people-pleasing because for no reason. You continued it because it was successful. So on some level, you got praise and recognition for the people-pleasing, which was feeding a value that you had, even if you were working against your other values. So there's like, it's all, it's all meshed up together. All of these things pull against one another. I said this before, like, if you're a perfectionist and you work in a place that has an unmanageable workload, what are the chances that you're going to be the one to delegate some of that workload to somebody else? Zero. So your perfectionism and the unmanageable workload feed off one another. They're connected, even though those, those are two technically separate pieces of your life, your personality traits, your coping mechanisms, and your workplace. If your boss tells you to delegate something, if you're a people pleaser or a perfectionist, you're probably not going to anyway. So this is where we get tricky with like, well, if the workplaces were more psychologically safe, then everything would be fine. But there's some people that would, my husband sometimes has to beg his people to take days off. Americans don't like taking time off. We're not real good at it. So if you have somebody that's a perfectionist people pleaser that hasn't taken a vacation in 10 years, even though they've been encouraged to, and the workplace can't make, like can't force them, what do you do? What's the solution? Mm -hmm. I mean, the solution is coaching and therapy, but that, you know, but th that was a sort of not really a rhetorical question. But it's like you can't expect a manager to be able to encourage somebody to do it, because even if they manage to say, don't come in for a week, you think that person's not going to check their email? Right. They're going to check right. their email six o'clock in the morning as soon as they wake up.
I'm, I mean, I'm my own boss and I had to really commit to myself to not go on LinkedIn and post for two weeks. Yeah. I still went on and checked DMs and checked emails. You know, I did it at night before mm-hmm. I went to bed when I wasn't spending time with my family. But yeah, you're right. It's always pulling you. Well, it's always pulling you. And that's just part of our human experience right now. Right. That's yeah. we didn't have Facebook. We didn't even have Facebook God when I was in college. <laughs> Me neither. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, as humans, we, we just tend to underestimate the complexity yeah. of, of our brains and our existence, really. And we want those shortcuts. We want those easy explanations for why did I get to the point where I am right now? But, yeah, I like thinking about it as a web because it is just so much more complex than that. I think the other good part of thinking about it like a web is that if all these causative factors can affect each other negatively, then when you choose one positive action, it will also affect multiple factors positively. Right. So Mm. to me, part of Mm. understanding the web and the reason I like to explain it to people is to have an understanding that you don't have to attack all of the issues at the same time. When you attack one of them, Sometimes four other things will unwind without you even doing anything about it. And then you can choose your next place. If, if everything yes. is, is attached, then everything is attached. Yeah, that, that resonates really with me as an investment professional when I think about like compounding interest. Exactly. You know, just a little bit at a time and then the, the results tend to compound. Exactly. And this is what happens with burnout recovery. Sometimes... People stay stuck in burnout for too long because they're trying to do too many things to get out of it, where if they did less things to get out of it, they would get out of it faster. Yeah. So let me let's go back then to somebody who hasn't done like all the work that you've done. Definitely not all the work you've done, but haven't hasn't even done like the work that I've done over the last two plus years of self-discovery and trying to figure out why I was so miserable. For somebody that's just sitting in that corporate office right now with the fluorescent bulbs over their head or, you know, they're driving to their next sales meeting and they wish they could be home with their family and they just like they know they're miserable. Like, what do you recommend to those people? Like, where do they start to try to build a happier life for themselves? So I created this thing that's probably going to make some people laugh and feel really counterintuitive. But when you are in the depths and you don't have a lot of energy to spare, it is my belief that you should use the lowest hanging fruit. So always go for the easiest thing. A lot of people in the burnout space will say, well, you should start focusing on gratitude and remember what your passion is. And you're like, I I haven't felt gratitude or passion in like two years. I don't even know (laughs) what that feels like. Go away. It becomes like a little bit toxic positivity to be like, well, just like think better about it. Like F off. Easy to say after many years. Right, exactly. So my suggestion is keep a resentment journal. This is something Hmm. that I offer for people. It's just something that I sell. And the resentment journal exists to help you realize where you are coloring outside of the lines of the life that you actually want to live. It shows you where the boundaries in your life are being broken down and allows you to make an assessment 
about whether you are breaking those boundaries. You said this in the very beginning, right? Whether you're overstepping your own capability and leaving your own values behind and or if you're being exploited from the outside. Once you figure that out, you can then decide how you want to change your behavior or what kind of request you want to put into place. But this helps you get really clear on what actually needs to change for me to get closer to the life that I want. Usually when you're burnt out because of the state of your brain, envisioning a future that you want more than, what, than the thing you want today is really hard because nothing feels possible or accessible to you. So everything you think up, you're like, well, I can't do that. That's not available to me. Like that's for other people. So don't start there. Get angry. Look at all the places where you're like, I, this is miserable. This is miserable. Every time this person emails me, I'm mad. I hate this project. Start looking at it, really looking at it and saying, okay, what's really going on here? How much of it can I control? And how much of it can I ask to change? I love that idea of a resentment journal. Um, Cause yeah, you always hear about like a gratitude journal. Yeah. So it's the opposite of it. Right. Exactly. So, but counterintuitive things tend to work, I find. And it kind of like some of the best advice I've gotten before is instead of constantly trying to like um, create the good life, try to eliminate the bad stuff, the stuff that you don't like. And then you sort of find the good stuff by default. Exactly. And it's a similar dynamic there, I think. This is exactly it. And I think it because when you're burnt out, often there are feelings of or thoughts of being undeserving and being unworthy. So it's really hard to first imagine what you might even want and second think that you're worth having it enough to go for it. Whereas if you start by eliminating the stuff that's really bugging you, you start to be in a place where you're getting more of what you want without even realizing it. And that inner sort of worth and deservedness starts to build up without you paying attention, without you going into the mirror with an affirmation being like, I am beautiful. I have money. You know, whatever it is you're saying to the mirror that day. Yeah. All right. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on. Um, always enjoy the conversations that we have. And I think we'll have many more in the future. I hope we do. Can't wait. If anybody wants to find out more information on Kate, I mean, just go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and look up Burnout. She'll be one of the first ones that that pops up there. But Kate, is there anywhere else where people can find out more information on you if they're interested? I think fried is the perfect place to start. The The logo of the podcast is literally a frying pan, which is hysterical, if we're being honest. Starting there is great because if you go into any of the show notes, you'll find my website and links to book calls and my LinkedIn and all the things. So that is really the best place and the easiest place to get started. Cool. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks again and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.